1: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for standing by. Welcome to Maple Leaf's first quarter 2020 financial results conference call. As a reminder, this conference call is being broadcasted live on the Internet and recorded. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. Please note that there will be a question and answer session following the formal remarks, and we will go over the question and answer session instructions following the conclusion of the formal presentation. I will now like to turn the call over to James Allison, Investor Relations at Maple Leaf. Please go ahead, Mr. Allison.
0: Thank you, Joanna. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Speaking on the call this morning will be Michael McCain, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Hert Varellan, Chief Financial Officer. To adhere uh, with current social distancing measures and Maple Leaf's work-from-home policy, Michael, Hert, and the Investor Relations team have each dialed in from our respective homes. While we have taken additional precautions to minimize potential technical disruptions, we've asked for your patience and understanding over the course of the call. Similar to last quarter, we have uploaded our Q1 investor deck to our website, which includes support material for the quarter. Our call this morning will end promptly at 9 a.m., but the investor relations team will be available after the call for any follow-up questions or any detailed modeling questions you may have. I would remind you that some statements made on today's call may constitute forward-looking information, and our future results may differ materially from what we discuss. So please refer to our Q1 2020 MD&A and other information on our website for a broader description of operations and risk factors that could affect the company's performance. And with that, I'll now turn over the call to Michael McCain. Michael?
2: Thank you, James.
0: Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining
2: uh, Maple Leaf's first quarter 2020 earnings call. Uh, I hope that you're all keeping safe and healthy in these uh, difficult moments. In a moment, we'll discuss the performance of our business during the first quarter, as well as our outlook for 2020 and beyond, and then we'll open the call to questions. However, prior to reviewing our results, I'd like to speak for a moment on COVID-19. This is a pandemic that has uh, created a challenging unpredictable and unprecedented moment in history and we've been singularly focused on managing uh, through the effects of this pandemic uh, across our organization government has designated the food supply system as critical infrastructure and this status is guiding our behavior we're committed to feeding consumers in this crisis at the moment as an essential service Our responsibility to our people our customers and broader society has never been greater as we navigate through this environment we are guided by three priorities first and foremost protecting the safety of our people while we operate our critical infrastructure secondly maintaining the security and continuity of our supply chain so that we may continue to fulfill our essential role in providing food for Canadian and international markets. And third, supporting vulnerable communities. When the spread of COVID-19 first began to escalate within North America, Maple Leaf quickly enacted its pandemic response plan, along with associated business continuity and contingency plans. For our people, we acted early at all of our sites to implement additional precautionary measures including spacing and screening procedures at our plants. Our people's efforts have been heroic and we've implemented premium compensation for our frontline team members to reflect this. We were early in recognizing the threats and established appropriate crisis teams to support our work. As a result of this early action, we were able to maintain business stability and continuity. Unfortunately, we have identified some cases of COVID-19 amongst frontline team members that work in our processing facilities. In consultation with public health and the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, we immediately put our playbook to work and implemented appropriate precautionary actions as required. The science of this disease continues to evolve. We applied the best science and guidance updated by the Center for Disease Control and protocols for handling positive COVID cases, protect our people, and ensure the ongoing operation of our supply chain. The application of these protocols required us temporarily to suspend operations at a small number of facilities over the past several weeks for as little as 24 hours to about a week. Each each situation is different, as you can imagine, and local decisions are based on very disciplined local and situational risk assessments. The health and safety of our people comes first, and we only restart operations at affected sites when it is safe to do so. At the same time, we are doing all we can to minimize risk, including sharing best practices with our industry peers as we work collaboratively through this crisis. We have learned a great deal over the past several weeks and are further refining our protocols on an ongoing basis as a result. Our contributions to the war effort itself have been directed to people who are on the front lines of healthcare, uh, helping those most affected and also the most vulnerable in our community. We've donated $2.5 million to the frontline fund, and would, would encourage anyone on this line to do the same thing. Working with hospital foundations across the country, this fund will support the professional and personal needs of our courageous healthcare workers through this crisis. We've also stepped up our longstanding commitment to reducing food insecurity with a two million dollar fundraising campaign under the theme "Apart Together," with proceeds going to Food Banks Canada and Community Food Centres Canada. Maple Leaf is committing $1 million towards this campaign. We are also redirecting advertising spend to promote this effort on TV and social media. Now turning to our business, as you would expect, COVID-19 has created some volatility, and we are seeing these effects on our industry and our business. There's been a migration of demand from food service to retail. As you may recall, retail is about 75% of our business in general. This migration, while being net neutral to overall volumes is highly disruptive because of its largely distinctive supply chains. Impacts including insufficient retail capacity in some select categories and pressure on agricultural commodity prices upstream uh, Uh, have been seen. We are responding to this in a number of ways, including uh, skew concentration to maximize our retail production and short-term capacity strategies to optimize our outputs. As you would expect, demand has been volatile with pantry loading in retail and a sales decline in the food service segment. In April, following uh, the close of Q1, we've seen corrections that we believe are en route to more stable environments. We've seen increased operating costs. Uh, the critical measures that we put in place to protect our people and manage our supply chain did in fact increase our cost. We are managing these costs and our teams are adapting extremely well. Having said that, we do expect to see these increased one-time costs for a period of time a short period of time through this crisis as well we will have experienced some short-term supply shortages when a facility is temporarily offline or has reduced output these factors may materially uh, uh, may be material to a specific quarter but are not material to the overall health of our business or our long-term prospects with the COVID-19 pandemic unfolding over the past two months It could be easy to lose sight of the strength of our business prior to COVID-19. We did have a strong start to the year, with 12.8% sales growth driven by another quarter of double-digit increases in both our meat and uh, plant protein groups. Our strength in retail volume in both meat and plant protein did result in some uplift in the sales for the quarter. Excluding the impact of COVID-19, our results would be right on target with our growth expectations for the year. The meat protein group continued to build upon the momentum it developed through 2019. For the first 10 weeks of the year, strong volumes were driven by a combination of factors, including the successful repositioning of our flagship brands as branded product was once again a leading contributor to growth. Continued excellent results from sustainable meats Added to our growth in the quarter, our raised-without-antibiotic uh, platform continues to see strong double-digit growth in the United States and strong momentum here in Canada as well, accompanied by expanding gross margins. And higher sales uh, in the Asian markets, primarily uh, China and Japan, uh, also contributed to our growth profile in Q1. Meat protein delivered a 30% year-over-year increase in EBITDA. Uh, and 160 uh, basis points year-over-year increase in adjusted EBITDA margins to 11.3% in what were neutral market conditions in total in the pork complex. This underscores our continued progress towards our goal of 14 to 16% adjusted EBITDA margins by 2022. I should note that COVID-19 was dilutive to EBITDA margins uh, in the quarter. In plant protein, sales momentum continued through Q1 uh, and results were in line with our expectations, over 25% growth for the quarter. This was driven by both greater distribution of new products and solid growth in our existing portfolio. This growth was also supported by our investments in advertising, promotion, and marketing, which built brand recognition. We continue to see strong adoption of our light life fresh burgers grounds and sausages, assisted by new formulations launched in December to dramatically improve these products in taste and texture. We continue to build on this position with additional innovations under the Field Roast brand, including breakfast sausage patties and links, as well as plant-based chicken nuggets, which were both released in February. These advances reinforced er, Greenleaf's position as the number two company by market share and number one brand by distribution in the U.S.'s plant-based industry. We've made great progress in plant protein in the last few quarters. We have two well-established brands with a broad portfolio of products and protein sources. We've got a great innovation pipeline with a skew to the higher-margin retail channel. We've deepened our insights in the plant protein market our relationships with customers and consumers, and we've gained momentum in brand awareness. We continue to see sales traction and we expect to achieve our targets for the year in 2020 in total. So now I'll turn it over to Hert who will discuss both these expectations and our financial performance in greater detail. Hert, over to you. Thank you, Michael, and uh, good morning, everyone. I'll begin today by discussing the company's
3: consolidated performance during the first quarter. I will then turn to a more detailed look at both our meat and plant protein groups. I'll conclude by speaking to some key financial metrics, CapEx and our outlook for the rest of the year. Sales for the quarter were approximately 1 billion, an increase of 12.8% from the prior year. This increase was driven by strong performance from both our meat and plant segments. Adjusted EBITDA for the first quarter was 90.5 million an increase of 7% from the prior year. This improvement primarily reflects the strong performance of our meat protein group, which was partially offset by our continued strategic investments in plant protein. As a result, adjusted EBITDA margin for the quarter was 8.9%, a slight decline compared to 9.3% last year. As mentioned earlier in the call, the pandemic's net impact on the first quarter was not material, as it was limited to only a few weeks. During those few weeks, we witnessed increased revenues, a decline in gross margins due to higher production costs, and increased expenses as a result of our efforts to support our communities. In total, COVID-19 was dilutive to our adjusted EBITDA margin in the quarter. Adjusted operating, earning, operating earnings for the quarter were $45.1 million, compared to forty two point one million in the prior year, driven by similar factors. Net loss for the quarter was $3.7 million, or negative three cents per basic share, compared to earnings of $50.1 million last year, or 40 cents per basic share. Strong commercial performance across the business was more than offset by a $36.7 million impact from non-cash fair value changes in biological assets and derivative contracts. Excluding these fair value adjustments, Maple Leaf's adjusted earnings per share were 21 cents, compared to 20 cents in the prior year. I'll now turn to a discussion of Maple Leaf's two operating segments. Meat protein sales for the first quarter were $981.4 million, an increase of 12.7% from the prior year. This improvement was driven by several factors, including strong retail volumes throughout the quarter, including a boost in late March due to COVID-19 related pantry loading, increased sales to Asian markets, Favourable mix shift towards sustainable meats and other branded products, and finally the benefit of pricing actions taking, taken during the third quarter of 2019. Meat protein adjusted EBITDA for the first quarter was 111 million, a significant increase of close to 30, 31% from the prior year. This growth was mainly due to strong sales growth coupled with a normalization of pork markets towards the five-year average. These positive drivers more than offset several factors, including costs incurred by our response to the pandemic in late March. Adjusted EBITDA margin for the meat segment was 11.3%, representing an increase of 160 basis points over the prior year. Turning now to our plant protein group, where we continue to invest for growth in a high potential market. Plant protein sales for the first quarter were 46.3 million increase of almost 26% from the prior year. This encouraging performance was driven by both broader distribution of our new products and strong growth in our existing portfolio. First quarter gross margin in the plant protein was 14.6% compared to 23.2% in the prior year and slightly higher than the fourth quarter of 2019. This margin compression reflects several short-term factors primarily related to heightened trade and promotional expenditure and supply chain costs. We remain confident though, that we will increase this gross margin by the end of the year. SG&A expenses in plant protein were 30.9 million and roughly 67% of sales in line with our full year outlook as we leverage strong brand awareness built over the second half of 2019. In addition, seasonality was also a factor given that we are seeking to align our spending with key purchasing periods. As we've discussed, these costs represent our strategic investments in advertising, promotion and marketing, organizational capacity, and our innovation pipeline. These investments are designed to establish a strong foundation for the future growth of the group, and we're pleased with their progress to date. Maple Leaf's balance sheet remains strong with $641 million in net debt and $1.3 billion in undrawn committed credit. While the company has the financial flexibility necessary to complete near-term capital projects, we remain focused on deploying this capital in an efficient and balanced manner with the goal of maximizing shareholder value. During the first quarter, Maple Leaf invested $99.2 million in CapEx, including construction capital of about 57 million. These expenditures were primarily related to construction of our new poultry facility in London, Ontario. With regard to our outlook, I should note that our expectations for both the second quarter and the balance of the year are based on certain assumptions regarding the future of our markets. As expected, the onset of COVID-19 has introduced a degree of uncertainty here. This includes volatility in the pork and poultry markets that has accelerated in the face of COVID-19. That said, we continue to see strong evidence supporting higher live hog prices over the medium term, and Canadian poultry markets should stabilize as we move through the year. We have outlined the known and unknown factors, including the above for Q2 and the balance of 2020 in our slide deck that is available on our website. Specifically for the second quarter, our underlying business continues to be strong and we expect to see heightened demand from the retail channel with lower sales from food service. We expect that incremental COVID related expenses, such as labor, personal protection equipment, and increased sanitation could be up to $20 million for the second quarter. Obviously, where possible, we're looking for ways to reduce expenditures in other areas to mitigate some of this incremental expense. At this time, we're only assuming a significant increase in COVID-related costs for the second quarter. As we make our way through the next two months, we hope to have a better understanding of how to plan for COVID for the back half of the year. While we deal with the challenges created by the pandemic, we, remain, we maintain our strategic focus on profitable growth in the meat protein group and investing in our plant protein group. Now things can change quickly, but at this time, we see no elements that materially change the overall expectation for our 2020 performance as outlined in February. And just let me walk you through the highlights of that outlook uh, once more. For our meat protein group, we continue to expect to deliver mid to high single digit sales growth coming from momentum in sustainable meat and higher sales to Asian markets. Although it is unlikely to be linear, we expect to deliver gross margin expansion in meat in 2020. This improvement will be driven by mixed benefits in prepared meats, poor complex conditions closer to the five year average and higher sales to Asian markets. This quarter, as a reminder, growth margin expanded by 90 basis points to 16%. These factors combined with continued SG&A efficiencies are expected to drive adjusted EBITDA margin expansion in 2020, advancing towards our stated goal of 14 to, 16 to be, uh, 16% to be achieved by 2022. This past quarter, uh, meet adjusted EBITDA margin grew by 160 basis points to 11.3%, representing continued progress towards our target. In the plant protein group, we continue to expect to deliver sales growth of approximately 30% in 2020, based on an acceleration during the year, consistent with our long-term target. We mentioned already that we did not expect this growth to be linear and that the first quarter would likely be lower. Over the balance of the year, we anticipate growth to accelerate as we continue to expand distribution points and launch new products. We expect growth to be driven by continued new product innovation, brand renovation in both our light life and field growth brands, and increased distribution points. We continue to expect our plants, plant groups gross margin to expand relative to 2019 as the business continues to grow and we optimize operational efficiencies and minimize startup costs. There's more work to be done though, but we remain confident in this target for the balance of the year. We continue to anticipate SG&A expenses and plant of roughly $150 million over the course of the year, largely driven by continued investment in advertising, promotion, and marketing. This will include continued spend on talent and operations to develop our organizational structure, as well as research and development to support product innovation. We're adjusting our capital outlook for the year. Expenditures in the first quarter were lower than planned partially as a result of large construction sites such as London poultry being temporarily shut down as part of the government's measures to fight COVID-19. Based on what we know now, this construction site will, uh, will be closed until the end of May. Over the next couple of weeks, we should be getting more clarity on what sites can continue, but it is reasonable to assume that our capital spend for the year will be at least 50 million lower than what we communicated in February. We do not believe that this will result in a meaningful delay in terms of completion of the London or Shelbyville plant though. In short, Maple Leaf has a stable, resilient model business model. We have been extremely vigilant to maintain business continuity, and we are fortunate to be in a line of business that is somewhat protected from the devastating COVID-19 impact in other areas of the economy. With confidence and discipline, we will continue to execute on our long-term strategy. I will now turn the call back to my
2: Thank you, uh, Hert, for that comprehensive review. To carry on from what uh, Hertz concluded with, we're extremely fortunate to be in what is a relatively secure and stable uh, industry. Uh, as I stated at the beginning of this call, we're pleased with the progress that we've made in the first quarter with strong performance from both our meat and plant protein groups, keeping us on track for our long-term targets. While there's some degree of uncertainty in the near term, I am confident that we possess the organizational discipline and the expertise to manage through this unprecedented time. As critical infrastructure, as well as a company that is resilient in a time of great uncertainty, Maple Leaf also has a responsibility to serve the broader community and to be a leader in supporting at-risk communities, our frontline workers and other stakeholders. I'd like to conclude by expressing my profound gratitude for our frontline team members who come to work every day to make the food on which we all depend. I'm humbled and I'm grateful for your commitment and inspired by the dedication of all our people to persevere and succeed in this environment. So with that, I'll now open up the line for questions operator.
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press the star followed by the one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Your first question comes from Irene Natal. Please go ahead.
4: Thanks and good morning everyone. And you know, again, thank you for the enhanced disclosure. Um, obviously, all of the problems that we're seeing in the U.S. with, with very large print shutdowns and here in Canada as well have raised a lot of questions. I was wondering if you could just take a couple of minutes, Michael, and, and walk us through. I mean, you said you have a couple of closures and smaller plants, but any differences in the way in which you operate your larger facilities, and I know this is really tough, but, you know, the probability in your mind of, or the risk in your mind of, of one of the big plants going down.
2: Well, thank you for that question, Irene, and I am absolutely going to avoid doing any compares or contrasts or differences in this uh, situation because uh, every single situation is different and unique, and, the, and it's based on the local risk assessments uh, that are uh, a very complicated and integrated a- assessment of the, the plant's status. Uh, combined with the uh, community status. And um, uh, those decisions are made collaboratively with public health uh, and the CFIA. And um, it is virtually impossible for me or, or others and inappropriate to try and opine on, on any differences. And I hope you can understand that. Um, the uh, What I will say is that that um, i believe that we were very early uh, in uh in recognizing the risk uh, that this pandemic would create and accordingly adopted very rigorous protocols um, for our people and there's a and there's a range of those protocols that uh, accomplish objectives like working from home where possible social distancing uh very aggressive screening uh in our facilities uh appropriate protocols throughout the facilities that we've described many times before uh following uh the application of uh, CDC guidelines around temperature checks and and, uh, and PPE uh, amongst our including masks amongst our uh, frontline uh, frontline um, uh, teammates so all of those, I think collectively, the fact that we were early adopters uh, and worked very collaboratively with public health and the CFIA uh, in terms of the community component of these things, I think uh, helps to mitigate the risk in our supply chain and I, and I think has contributed to uh, a relatively uh, stable and secure outcome to date. In terms of assigning or opining uh, on what the future probabilities of disruption are, it, again, it's very difficult to assess that because of the local conditions and the local community impacts uh, that are that are uh, integrated with these outcomes, uh, and uh, it, th- those are very difficult to uh, to appine on, uh, Irene. But right right now, I, I I believe we're in I think we're in, in pretty uh, in pretty good pretty good position right now pretty good shape uh, you know certainly relative to to others but you know there's a certain sense of unpredictability um, to that going forward
4: i understood michael and also presumably um, as we enter a period if you will of even higher risk as as you know the economy and people start moving around a little bit more all of these protections presumably
2: will remain in place yeah well that's the that's certainly our intent and i think uh, you know our communities in general have have really not uh, uh, not uh, landed on exactly what those reentry strategies uh, should be um, uh, either for critical infrastructure or non-critical infrastructure and I think that's work in process right right now we're just concentrating on uh, incredibly vigilant application of our protocols to date I, I believe that the I believe that the risk profile in our supply chain is less today than it was 30 days ago, largely because I believe that uh, it's clear from the data that the social distancing in Canada has been uh, effective. uh, And and I think all of the modeling uh, suggests that. And uh, our protocols in the supply chain are 30 days more mature today than they were uh, they were uh, a month ago, so uh, you know I believe that the risk profile to the supply chain today is less than it was 30 days ago, but, uh, uh, but I would say that in the next stage of this evolution, as the economy uh, begins to open up, we will have to carefully craft with public health and the CFIA and industry partners uh, exactly what that looks like in the next stage. For sure, our priorities won't change, which are number one, protecting our people while we operate, uh, while we operate this critical infrastructure, and protecting business continuity.
4: That's very helpful. And just one other question, if I might, um, you alluded to this in your discussion around uh, your relative needs. Um, mix between food service and retail, can you just spend a couple of minutes talking about the ability? And it sounds like it's a good one that you have to really to pivot the products um, and the SKUs away from food service to retail, and your ability to to meet the demand as we move forward.
2: Well, generally, we've been we've been able to meet the demand uh, of the increase in retail versus a generally. Uh, so, which is why our, I think our volume in, in total is going to be neutral, maybe a slightly positive bias, but call it, call it for the purpose of this discussion, neutral, uh, in that, uh, in that food service decline, retail, uh, retail gain, um, uh, a shift. Um, but I would tell you that, uh, Irene is very, very category specific. So there are some categories that, um, that we uh, have the capacity to meet the uh, the re- retail growth, uh, while the food service uh, contracts. There are some other categories that we're more restricted on, but we're in those categories. We are taking steps, as I alluded to, uh, around optimizing our retail pr- retail production output through things like. Uh, skew optimization and, and other operational tactics that are that have been uh, very effective. So, you know, on ge- in general, I think the macro theme is we're we're in pretty good position to be able to take advantage or to be able to not take advantage of, but to really uh, shift with that uh, with that uh, channel disruption. That's great. Thank you.
1: Thank you. The next question comes from Michael Van Eist. Go ahead.
5: Hi, good morning. Um, good morning, Michael. So I just want to touch base specifically on more the Brandon facility. And, um, you know, given that, you know, if, if one plant was to go down, that, would, that could have a bigger impact It would be Brandon. So, you know, there aren't many cases in Manitoba, so certainly that is a positive going for you. But what would be your – what would happen to your pork supplier? How would you adjust your business, your supply chain, if Brandon had to was forced to close down
2: for any period of time? Well, uh, well I hesitate to speculate because these things are are so dependent on local uh, risk assessments, uh, and you, you know there there are there are very difficult uh, circumstances that are certainly being experienced in, uh, in other parts of North America where it, you know, the impact if, if extended goes right back to the, goes right back to the farm and, uh, it affects producers in the way that are relatively obvious that you're seeing throughout North America. That's happening in, in, um, uh, in all of the species, uh, in protein. Um, so, um, uh, you know speculating Michael on exactly what that w- would look like would be would be very challenging because it's this so uh so specific to the to individual circumstances. What I would tell you is that <clears throat> we're in the Brandon facility like all of our facilities as i said uh, mentioned uh, or said to irene I, I think we're in uh, in a uh, stable and secure position as of as of today Manitoba happens to be uh, to be um, in a very good position uh, in in terms of their uh, outcomes their public health outcomes uh, but in addition to that we've got just we've got very 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 uh, vigilant rigorous protocols in place at the Brandon facility as we do in all of our facilities today but uh they they the, the team and brandon have done a have done a very good job and are uh at applying those uh those uh those protocols um and uh and i've got confidence in them it doesn't you know the the situation is uh again is very integrated to the community and the community status uh and um uh, and in that community I think we've got a uh, we've got a, uh, a very stable situation at the moment
6: but Michael what
5: like let's say it were to shut down hypothetically for a week or two would you be able to source raw pork from other sources uh, given yes. the tight supply right now uh, to, to continue manufacturing your, your, your prepared meats
2: uh, I believe I, I believe we would, uh, and I believe we would. Certainly, there would be. It depends on the the market conditions at the time. But I believe we would. Yeah, and okay. uh, you know we operate with we operate with inventory, right? So uh, so I think there's some inventory uh, uh, components of that as well. We so so the short answer is Michael is would it be disruptive? Of 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 course it would be disruptive, but. You know, the um, I, I'm just not going to speculate on on what the various scenarios would be and and what worst case scenarios would be because I don't you know I I just don't know what the profile of that would look like. But right now, I believe we are in relatively speaking very uh, secure position uh, relative to our industry.
5: Okay, and would you be able to quantify? the dilutive impact of covid to EBITDA margins in the
2: first quarter. Uh, it was a slightly dilutive. Not, not not significant, just yeah. slightly. Yeah, okay. it's really small mark. Okay.
5: And then um and I I don't this will be a tough one maybe, but you know, last night President Trump uh ordered all the food plants to stay open essentially. You know, we've seen spreads Uh, processing spreads really right up uh, in the face of 25, 30% reduction in processing and slaughtering capacity in in the U.S. And do you think that, in your view, do you think that that processing capacity can recover quicker with this order or do you think it's, you know, the the fact that, you know, people are homesick and and the employees might not want to work in this environment might keep production uh, capacity or slaughtering capacity uh, down for an extended period of time
2: in the US? Uh, I think it will aid uh, the recovery of their processing capacity, but I don't necessarily believe that that recovery will be you know, overnight or quick. But it will obviously aid the recovery. I think it recognizes the critical infrastructure that the food supply represents. I mean, uh, in a situation like this, I, I, I just can't imagine the stress on a society. Uh, that would occur uh, if our food supply system uh, becomes dysfunctional. And uh, that, uh, I think, recognizes that criticality. And so obviously, Michael, it will aid in that. But I I just don't know, I do not know their individual plant circumstances, the integrated nature of uh, of their outbreaks with the community, Uh, and what the local judgments or risk assessments that are being applied that might influence their ability to bring back those supply chains. They're just so local that I I cannot uh, offer an opinion on that, other than just saying that, broadly speaking, recognizing the criticality of the infrastructure uh, will aid the recovery in some way, but I just can't opine on exactly how. All right, thank you. I'll pass it on to someone else for now. Thanks.
1: Thank you. The next question comes from Derek Delay. Please go ahead.
6: Yeah, hi, uh, Michael and, and here, just wanted to talk a little bit about your um, your export market, namely China. So um, given what we saw last year with the ASF and the reduction in the hog herd, uh, have you guys seen or heard of any sort of changes there in terms of China being able to to start to rebuild that hog herd, or, or has COVID 19 you know led to to further delays on on that front?
2: I've seen no evidence of any change from the last time we spoke. Uh, of course, they will work towards rebuilding it, but we feel that, uh, as the industry feels, that that's years away. Um, uh, and um, uh, certainly, Q1 was uh, the uh, the first full quarter where we were back in the uh, in the Chinese market, and uh, and we saw significant increases to our uh, to our exports into that market over the course of the quarter. But I have not seen any fundamental change from
6: last time you spoke, Derek. And and would you expect that, you know, given some the tariffs that we're you know we've seen in the US that you guys are gaining market share or, or you know other countries are gaining market share within that that Chinese market?
2: Well by definition, the fact that we've had such strong growth, it feels a little bit like that. But you you look at the you look at the data coming out of the United States uh their their exports into uh into China I think last time I last time I saw the data was up 100% into China uh so uh, from the United States now that will obviously be impacted by the by the more recent than the last couple of weeks uh, the recent contraction of their uh, of their processing capacity uh you know their uh the the um, they have seen 25 30% reductions in the US uh processing uh, just over the last couple of weeks so uh, so that will obviously impact their uh their export uh, capacity uh into that market but again I don't I can't opine on terms of how long that will persist for uh, given uh given the um, what what the, the volatile situation that they're facing um but you know what I do know is that uh, we are at uh, Maple Leaf uh, uh, active exporters into that market. Um, we are uh, we're maximizing the opportunity to uh, sell into that market as much as we can, and uh,
6: and um, uh, I th- you know I think that uh, we expect that to continue. Okay, um, in terms of just the consumer purchasing behavior that you've seen in. in you know, sort of the early stages here of of COVID-19. Have you seen any any changes in in purchasing behavior? Are consumers, you know, uh, looking to buy more of of sort of legacy products or what they're used to? Are folks trying new products, maybe trying, you know, more of your your PPG products? Can you just comment on, on what you're seeing there?
2: Well we've seen as i said uh in my remarks we've seen growth in retail uh contraction of our food service business although some data points are showing that the food service business more recently in the last in the last few weeks are are starting there's getting getting some some small amount of rebound uh, in the food service channel in the last few weeks i think uh which is good news for them um, uh in terms of consumer behavior um uh yeah, i think there there's some evidence of uh of people migrating to traditional products we've seen uh we've seen real strength in categories uh, like um, uh wieners and sausages sliced meats uh bacon uh some weakness in uh, deli products for example as you can imagine uh, deli uh, operations in most retail outlets are are not functional or or significant reductions. Um, uh, some categories like uh, like uh, lunch kits tend to suffer with uh, people uh, with with families at home. Um, uh, certainly, uh, from a broader perspective, uh, we've seen uh, tremendous growth coming in more coming into the second quarter than than the first uh, in our plant-based business. Uh, I think there's been uh, that continues to accelerate uh, but some of that is just due to the uh to the seasonality of uh that uh, as we guess the second quarter comes into kind of a the, the more seasonal sweet spot for that uh, for that category as well so so you know, teasing out how much of that is uh is struck consumer uh, you know behavior oriented versus seasonality is very difficult but we are seeing a robust uh, plant-based business, and are and, and, uh, in line with our expectations on our meat platform. Um, uh, so those, you know, those are the headlines, uh, uh, Derek. I don't, uh, I'm not sure if that addresses your question, but it's uh, those are the headlines. No, that's great. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. The next question comes from Mark Petrie. Please go ahead.
7: Hey, good morning. I just wanted to uh, follow up, just quickly, on your comment with re- uh, with regard to channel shifts being largely neutral to volume. Um, what period were you referring to, or is that just a general comment of uh, of, you, of what you're seeing in the business?
2: Uh, that's a general comment, uh, but I think that's that is uh, more reflective of uh, what we would expect in the second quarter, as, okay, as yeah. that channel as that channel shift. Uh, um, Kind of normalizes.
7: Right. Okay. So food service wasn't severely impacted in in Q1.
2: Well, it, it, it certainly was in the back half of March. Uh, the last yeah. two, all of these shifts basically accelerated and, and impacted our results in the last two weeks of of the of the quarter, where we saw you know dramatic declines in our food service business and uh, and a bit of a hoarding effect in retail.
7: Okay. I, well, I guess, so I guess my question is maybe, you know, like was your shift, was your ability to shift your capacity from food service to retail, was that relatively quick or, you know, is there a bit of a yeah. lag in that? No, relatively,
2: right. relatively quick in most categories, not all. As I said, it's very category specific, but we, we did take steps uh, late in March and, early, and then through, uh, through the early part of April to uh, streamline our, our productivity Uh measures in our retail portfolio uh, in the last part of March and into early part of April. So relatively swift where, where it's possible. There are some places, there's some places, Mark, where it's not possible. You know, an obvious example is in, uh, is in bacon. It was a very material difference between the packaging formats and the process formats in bacon in, um, in uh, food service versus retail. We're not a, we're not a large food service uh, bacon uh, provider. Uh, we, we are dominant retail, but, but it's l- more difficult to take advantage of the growth in retail in that business. We, don't, we didn't suffer a large re- uh, food service decline because we're not a significant food service operator in bacon, but it's more difficult to take advantage of the retail growth in bacon because of the just because the differences in the packaging format as a, as an example uh there are other categories where we uh where we had more opportunity either through available capacity or easier ability to adjust uh in the in those so it's very category specific
7: yeah that's helpful thanks so i the the other question I had was um just with re- with regards to sort of trade spend and and also marketing spend. Um, I'm just curious about how that's sort of been affected through the course of the of the pandemic, how that's evolved, um, and I guess sort of both in, in meat and uh, meat protein and in plant protein, if you could separate those, and if and sort of how you've adjusted tactics and uh, and strategies, and then if that affects um, you know the overall level of spend, or if that's just if it if it's just really a change in sort of how you're approaching. it
2: uh there's there's some in the SGNA there'll be some uh offsetting uh costs but not uh, not really that material uh, some offsetting costs in our SGNA uh as you know it's not a, it's not an appropriate period of time to be uh to be advertising in certain aggressive ways but but on the other hand we've converted uh converted a, a large chunks of our advertising uh, investments to uh, both support our uh, community efforts around the Center for Action and food security uh, and in some cases where we are continuing to advertise around the, the the message itself so I think it just I think consumers are just want different types of messages I think to support the products that they love and consistently uh, support than and not necessarily uh, considerably less uh advertising per se. Um for the most part. Uh so okay. uh so there is there is some offset to the operating costs in our SG&A, but not uh in our, in our supply chain but not, not, not material. Yeah, okay. and I, I would add Michael that on the plant side we
3: are we're executing as as we said we were. I mean the, the, the trade spend and the S G and A spent that we have on our plant side is exactly in line with what we said in the beginning of the year, uh that the trend the trend would be for the full year or so. Um, we continue to invest in brand building, et cetera, but there it's, it's much more commensurate with the rate of uh, innovation introductions and, uh, and new product launches uh, uh, than anything.
7: Okay, thanks. And, and I guess just sort of following up on that on that last point, um, you know, do you think that this sort of surge in retail demand overall has led to any kind of change in the pace of new trial in, in the plant-based category or – or is this is that all just sort of uh, uh, on track as as you would have expected, and this it, and that it, it's not affected.
2: I wouldn't say that it's not affected because that would be too much of a bright line. There's some effect, but it's not material. We're we're marching forward with our plans as uh, as expected. So I, there's clearly uh, from a tactical perspective there's uh, there's some impact category by category, product by product, customer by customer, but it's not really by that material mark. We're we're continuing forward.
7: Okay. Thanks very much for all the comments and all the best.
1: Thank you. The next question comes from Peter Sklar. Please go ahead.
8: I just want to talk about packer margins for a second. As you know, the packer margins in the U.S. have really widened out with uh you know these plants that have gone down so my question is how integrated is the canadian pork market with the with the us market so if if packer margins are you know expanding in the us you know does that translate into the into the same dynamic in canada or are there certain structural issues for pork to cross over the
2: border so it is it uh, peter to answer your question there are uh uh, there, there, I'd answer it in a couple of different ways. First of all, it's directly linked, so it's not a question of is it influential. It's directly linked to the Canadian market, and the Canadian market operates in in complete sync with the U.S. market in that regard. Having said that, uh, it's you, when you look at the packer margin expansion, uh, I would encourage you to also look at the uh, the devastation in the uh, lean hog price, which you know we operate in a whole continuum of of pork complex that has lean hog margins and price um in lean hogs it wasn't that long ago we're trading say in may or june in the 80s and 90s and they went down into the 30s for a period of time so it's now it's recovered uh slightly but it's still trading in the in the in the low 50s so you have to look at the whole as we've put in our materials uh Uh, this quarter you you look at in in the first quarter it was net neutral Uh, it's too difficult to call exactly how all three of those components the lean hog or the hog production the packer spread or processing and the byproducts uh, the combination of all three of those components will be affected in the second quarter it's probably too early to call how all three of those are but we certainly expect for the year to be basically on track with our guidance which is you know, neutral to five-year averages, uh, or maybe slightly better. With respect to Maple Leaf, the third part of this is, though, is uh, Maple Leaf operates with a very, very high proportion of value-add in our product mix. And what that means is to Maple Leaf is that while the packer margin and hog production margin and byproduct markets has an influence on our performance, we don't have either the low lows or the high highs. As a result of those changes in markets, we have a much more stable and predictable profile against those markets because of our high value-added uh, mix. We, it will be uh, influenced by it to some degree, as we've disclosed every quarter, that we won't have the extreme volatility that that might represent in our portfolio. Right. Okay.
8: And then just as a follow up, um, you know, with the issues that they're having in the U.S. uh, in their pork plants, uh, I would assume the U.S. they're looking for products. So has that impacted your export of, you know, your branded uh, prepared meats business into the U.S. grocery channel? Like, is there additional demand for your product?
2: It hasn't. uh, It hasn't to date. Uh, You know, we've got great demand for our products in in the United States, but not really connected to what's going on with their supply chain. Most of our demand growth in the U.S. has been uh, as a result of our double-digit growth in sustainable meats. Uh, We've had great success in the Greenfield brand uh, in the U.S. marketplace in in sustainable meat. And our sustainable meat portfolio is driving our growth in the U.S. marketplace, not COVID-19 right okay. uh the uh having said that coming you know uh with the contraction in capacity in the united states uh, i think it's fairly uh, fairly accurate to say that it's likely the contraction in capacity of say twenty five thirty percent very very short term is more likely to affect their exports than their domestic market um so um, I suspect that they will protect their domestic supply chains uh, at the expense of their exports. But I don't, you know, I can't say that for certain, but I I wouldn't think that's logical. Okay.
8: And then just lastly, um, just seeing you double your sales to China, um, like there's so many moving parts. There's all the trade issues. There's the COVID issues, um, the issues they've had with uh, obviously with their domestic hog production, like bottom line, like what what is it that's really co- allowed you to double your sales to China?
2: Um, is it all of the above. Yeah, demand. We we've we've, we've uh, their demand, which started to materialize in, in the middle of 2019. We were. Not able to access that demand uh, in the first instance because of the uh, because of the restrictions that were placed upon the Canadian industry by uh, China from in Q three and four of two thousand and nineteen. That changed, as you know, in in early December of two thousand and nineteen. And so that's a it's a demand led uh, shift. There's uh, the 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 uh, the supply shortage that, uh, in in China is you know fifteen to twenty million tons per annum, and Canada's role in that is de minimis relatively speaking so uh there's a you know our our ability to fulfill that demand is restricted only by the our availability of uh, of uh product to sell, which is you know obviously limited by our own supply right.
8: Okay, um, that's everything I have. Thank you
1: Thank you. The last question comes from George dumay. Please go ahead
2: Good hey, morning guys <clears> okay <throat> hey, George um Good there morning. seems to be a second a second wave of pantry loading uh in the u s because of like all the headlines and the talks around uh supply disruptions out the of the plant so I'm just wondering if you're seeing anything improvements at all in, in canada Canada. <clears throat> have not seen that to date uh George, but i you know, I couldn't say that that wouldn't happen. I think certainly the the media has been more uh, more attentive to the supply chain challenges in the U.S. than in Canada, because largely because they've had more supply chain challenges in the United States than Canada. But I, you know, I can't say that that wouldn't uh, that that wouldn't occur again. Okay, just one last one for me on the uh, the higher supply chain costs that you guys called out in the, the plant. Based business. Can you maybe give a little bit of color on what they were and how they would look like, I guess, in the, in the environment where you do see the higher demand that you've called out for in, in Q2? Well, the, the yeah, yeah, Kurt, why don't you take that one? Go ahead.
3: Yeah, um, so we, we called out additional uh, trade. Trade spend and supply chain costs, and we do believe that as we as we continue the growth cycle that we have right now, or the growth numbers that we are seeing in in April, we're going to be able to to better source that and better organize that. Um, so we're we're confident that we can get that down or better under control, such that we can get
2: the gross margin up. Okay, thank you. Those are my questions.
1: Thank you. That concludes the question and answer session. I will now turn the call back over to Mr. McCain for closing remarks.
2: Okay. Well, thank you very much for uh, for everybody joining today. Uh, again, these are unprecedented times. Uh, I'm very, I'm very, very proud of the uh, the the. Um, uh, dedication and commitment of our all of our team members to um, both meeting our obligations as critical infrastructure but also contributing to the war effort uh, in the ways that we have and been supportive as as our as our teammates have been uh, to all of the uh, societal requirements uh, and obligations uh, during this time so it's unprecedented period but I think we've, we've uh, we have demonstrated the resilience of our business model and the strength of our people uh through this and i'm uh, very proud of them in virtually every way so uh, thank you for all of your support uh, we uh, look forward to reporting uh you know significant improvements on both public health and in um, and our business results in the future uh and uh and there will be a time when we can be together again so uh thank you for your support and i uh, I look forward to uh, connecting with you next quarter, and uh, as we as we um, uh, work our way through this, uh, these challenges. So, thank you, and uh, look forward to the next time. Have a great day. great
1: day. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating, and we ask that you please disconnect your lines.